Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. through Philippians this semester, and it's winding down. Like, next week is going to be our last week in Philippians, actually, and there's only like three or four more large groups, I think, left this semester. So uh, everything is kind of winding down, including this letter that we've been looking at all semester long, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, this is, in a lot of ways, like, He's beginning to summarize. Now, we're going to look at a passage next week, which is kind of more like his closing remarks, which have a lot of great things to look at in them, too. But this is kind of like the conclusion before the conclusion in this letter. So this is like him, in a lot of ways, uh, summarizing what he's covered so far. So let me uh, read it for us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Let's pray one more time. Uh, Father, as we come now to your word, Uh, We pray that you would energize us, uh, those of us who are weary. Uh, I pray that you would, for those of us that come with doubts, uh, that you would meet us in those doubts. Uh, For those of us that come uh, struggling in some way, that you would meet us in those struggles and uh, change us by your word. Encourage us and challenge us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So if you've been coming this semester to RUF and as we've gone through this letter to the Philippians, maybe you've noticed that a lot of this letter is just kind of about Paul saying, like, keep going. Like, you need to, like, keep going. You need to keep trusting. You need to, like, maintain joy. We're calling this series Joy in a world gone flat because Paul is like continuing to rejoice all through this book and talking about joy even though he's in prison. So he's like the perfect example. He gives himself as an example of someone who is keeping going. He's saying like, follow me 
this is worth it. The gospel is worth it. And he, so it makes sense that he concludes this letter uh, in a way by saying, stand firm in the Lord here in verse 1. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Uh, Melissa, would you go to the next, there's the next slide with a picture on it. If you have the, the clicker, there it is. Thanks. Yeah, so this is actually right near where we always go to summer conference every year in Florida after Hurricane Michael in October. And there was actually a New York Times article written about this house. This is, called, this is Mexico Beach, Florida. And uh, this article was written about this house because there was all this like video and photographic footage of the devastation of this hurricane. And there was this one house that had like no damage to it. While, as you can see, like most of the other houses were flattened and the ones that weren't flattened are severely damaged. And so people were like, what did you do to this house? And, and it's not that hard to figure out what they did. They just built it really, really well. Like they poured concrete, reinforced concrete to build the whole thing basically, thinking like we might need this to survive a massive hurricane. I want you to have, you can go to the next, next slide now. Um, back to, yeah. um, I want you to have that image, though, in mind as we look and think about standing firm in the Lord. So, like, what would, what would it take for us in a world where it's hard to be Christians, it's hard to be a group of Christians, and it's hard to be an individual Christian, to stand firm? So, in the, to kind of conclude this letter, Paul says... Stand firm in the Lord. And he gives us two kind of marks of like, this is how you know, this is what standing firm looks like. And those marks that we're going to look at tonight are relationships and rejoicing. So two, two points tonight, relationships and rejoicing. And we're really going to focus more on the rejoicing tonight. But uh, I want to look at relationships first, because it's interesting that Paul, at the beginning of this passage, calls out two women by name, like two women who helped him start this church in this place, Philippi. Uh, he calls them out by name, and he says, I entreat Eulodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And the reason he calls them to agree, and he says in the Lord, is because a fruit of the gospel, like a way that the gospel should work itself out in the lives of Christians is that they should find a way to agree or get along or work together. Um, I, I think of like, I recently watched that movie Last Flag Flying with like uh, Steve Carell and Brian Cranston. It's a story about like these guys that serve together in the military and they get back together. And I was struck by, and you see this in movies a lot, maybe you've seen it in real life, when two people that have served in the military meet, there's this immediate connection. You know, like 40 years apart, like these guys served in Vietnam, this guy served in Iraq, and they meet, and there's this immediate bond because of the service, because of the shared story, because of the intensity of the shared story. And what Paul is, draw, Paul is drawing on that is he tells these women and this whole community that these women need to agree because Christians share a story. And Christians share an intensity of a story where, you know, if you're a Christian, it means you were lost. You were condemned. 
There was no hope for you. And then Jesus saved you. And now we live in a world that's opposed to Christians. So it's hard to maintain faith. And a lot of people think Christians are idiots. And there's a lot of circumstances in life that make it hard to maintain faith. And so Paul's saying, if that's your story, if you're in the church, like you need to find a way to agree. For us, it might mean if you're an RUF, you need to find a way to be friends with these people around us. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends, right? But you just need to find a way to connect and be friends. Um, and it's so important that he calls out two specific people. Like, think, like this is an extreme measure. This would be read to like the whole church. And he says, I entreat these two women to agree. And it's calling on the whole community to gather around them and help them agree, to help them be united and get along. This kind of unity in the church is so important for holding fast. It's so important for standing firm. And so when Paul says uh, in verse 1, stand firm thus in the Lord, he's actually, it's a plural verb. So he's talking to everyone. He's not saying like you stand firm. He's saying you guys stand firm. One way you can do it is to work on your relationships with each other. There's these two women that I've heard about that aren't getting along. Let's work on that. That's how important relationships are standing firm. So that's relationships. But I want to focus more on rejoicing. Uh, and what I want us to see with re- in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. And what I want you to see is that he's placing anxiety and rejoicing as like opposites of each other here. Right? The biggest thief of joy, in other words, is anxiety. And I want to just stop and say something about the kind of anxiety that Paul's addressing. Because we live in a world of anxiety and anxiety disorders and clinical anxiety. And I just want, like, Paul's not talking about that kind of anxiety. Although that, that can be related to the type of anxiety he's talking about. But Paul here is talking about just kind of a more general anxiety. And I heard one writer put it this way, and it's the kind of anxiety that's common to most people. Uh, this kind of anxiety is to carry the burden, to carry the burden of the future oneself. To carry the burden of the future oneself. I wonder, as you go through college, as you go through life, are you carrying the burden of the future yourself? And I think if we think of anxiety in those terms, what we have to realize is that Yukon is a super anxious place. It's full of anxiety because, first of all, it's this transitional place where we're all, you know, everyone comes here thinking, this isn't where I'm going to stay. I'm going to... I'm transitioning here and then I'm going to transition elsewhere to another place out in my future somewhere. And so this is this place where futures seem to get determined. It's a place where people seem to carry burdens alone and avoid God entirely. Like anxiety is in the water here. Everywhere you go, you hear people expressing their anxiety. Like you overhear conversations about just with people, you know, you hear like, you know, do you have an internship yet? Like, I hear that conversation constantly 
Why don't I have an internship yet? Do I have one? Or uh, here's another one. Have you ever told someone your major and they respond by saying, what are you going to do with that? And it's like, well, like, okay, step back. I have time, right? Um, and just a general kind of being consumed by the future. Is some, it's just a characteristic of UConn in most colleges, I think. Uh, I want to give you some I, I kind of examples of how I see this uh, played out. One is uh, doing poorly in a class and immediately kind of jumping to like how it will affect you years down the road. Or the kind of shame we feel at changing a major. I hear this a lot. Like people want to avoid changing a major just because like I shouldn't have to do that. Because it might set me behind in my future. Here's another one. Taking a test in the middle of the semester and immediately calculating how it will affect your final grade and your GPA at the end of the semester. Um, take it out of the realm of school. Staying in bad relationships because of a fear of ending up alone someday. Super common in college. Not to mention all just the residual burnout from all these things that we do that make us anxious. And what I want you to see is Paul's not saying, like, that's, none of that stuff is no, it's no big deal. He's not minimizing any of it. He's not saying there isn't stuff that's scary. Like, he's in prison as he writes this. So he's not saying, like, just go with it. You know, God is well aware that job, like, to have money someday so you can buy food and clothes, you need a job, and many jobs need college degrees and all that. But what Paul is writing is that we were never meant to bear that burden alone. So are you bearing that burden of the future alone? And is it taking you into a spiral of fear and anxiety and isolation that drives us back into fear and anxiety and more isolation? And if that's you, I want to look at three Ps that... Uh, Paul gives us here that can move us away from anxiety and into a life of rejoicing and freedom. And the the first P is presence, the presence of God. Uh, At the end of verse 5 there, it says, the Lord is at hand. It's a way of saying the Lord is near. What does that mean? It means a few things. Uh, God is near in the sense that he has lived as a man in our world. And he knows what it's like to not know where your next meal is going to come from. He knows what it's like to not know where you're going to sleep that night or what you'll wear the next day. Like when God became a man, he actually gave up his right to know what tomorrow might bring. Like Jesus was God, but he was also a man. And for him to be a man, it meant that he had to like accept the rules that we all have, including I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So when we wonder about our future, first of all, we have a God who gets that. He knows what it's like. Uh, Secondly, he's given us his spirit. So he is actually present here with all Christians at every moment. Like God is present in this room right now. He sees and hears this. He hears it all. Uh, He's involved in like the day-to-day minutia of your life. Uh, He knows what your class schedule is. He knows what the class average was on the last test. 
And he cares about that stuff because we care about that stuff, and he cares about us. I wonder if you know that I can say a dinosaur for every letter of the alphabet from memory. A, Apatosaurus, B, Brachiosaurus, C, Corythosaurus, D, Deinonychus, E, Ineosaurus, F, Fabrosaurus, G, Gallimimus, H, Hadrosaurus, I, Iguanodon, J, Jaxosaurus, etc. I can do the whole thing. Why can I do that? Yeah. My kids are really into this song, Dinosaurs A to Z. Like, do I know that song because it's, like, so important to me and I really want to be able to have a dinosaur for every letter of the alphabet? No. I want to know that song because it matters a lot to my two little kids. And I want you to see that that's the way God is involved in our lives. All of our lives. So God is truly present. But the reality is that God, we can easily ignore his presence, right? We can block it out. We do this all the time. And so we need to learn to practice his presence. Uh, It's a discipline that we need to develop to thrive in God's world. And there's lots of ways we can practice his presence. One way is Christian community like this. We come together because it's hard to believe. So like, I'm going to gather in a room with other people struggling to believe. And that will help me believe. Uh, That's the reason we look at the Bible often in RUF, because the Bible reminds us of his presence. Uh, It's one of the reasons we have RUF every week instead of like one big event every semester, because we need to continually be practicing the presence of God. Uh, We need to practice living in that reality so that when the future becomes uncertain, we don't immediately panic. So it's like, I need, if you think about anxiety being in the water at Yukon, like I need to be drinking gospel water constantly to counteract it, okay? So that's God's presence. But the second P is prayer. Uh, we could spend weeks talking about just prayer, and I'll just talk about it briefly. Um, I talk with many of you about prayer, and a lot of times I'll talk with some, you about something going on in your life, and I'll ask you, are you praying about it? And the answer is usually no. And I ask that question because I'm the exact same way. You know, we forget to pray. And the reason, like, and sometimes I ask, like, well, why aren't you praying? Or I could ask myself, why am I not praying? And there's a lot of reasons we might offer for why we don't pray. But the real reason is we don't think we need to. If we did think we need to, we would. Right? Is there anything that you think you need to do that you don't do? No. No. But we do pray when things get really bad, right? We, we begin to see that we need it. Like when life starts falling apart, we start to remember to pray. Uh, but up until that point, we live like we're in control. I heard one author put it this way. Um, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. See what he's saying there? You'll only pray if you know you're helpless. Uh, So to cultivate prayer, we need to cultivate helplessness, which is why Paul is careful here to mention thanksgiving. Uh, What would happen to us if we took some moments each day to just express thanks to God for the things he gives, for the things he's done? We'd probably realize that he's done a lot. Like, what if he said, hey, dear God, thank you for that I woke up this morning, because some people didn't. 
Thank you that there's breath in my lungs because some people don't have it. Thank you that I can walk because many people can't. Right? We would start to, we would be more and more grateful and we would be more and more mindful of the fact that we control nothing. I definitely, definitely didn't control whether or not I woke up alive this morning, right? And there's so much of life like that. We're helpless, and we need to remember it. Uh, the bottom line is that we need to be near God, and cultivating his presence and our dependence on him. Uh, and we do that through prayer. So um, I, I mentioned my kids just a minute ago. We left our kids alone. Like Maggie and I went out of town overnight recently. Uh, for the first time where we left both kids, like we were gone. Uh, my parents were there. And uh, so big step in the life of a parent. Leave your kids behind. And so, you know, think about parent. Like we've been raised, like we've been investing in our kids for years now. We want them to know that they're loved. We want them to know that we'll take care of them. We want them to feel secure with the goal that like, if they don't see us, you know, if they, it's, if they don't see us, they're not going to start panicking, right? Like, we want them to be so secure that if, even if they can't see us in the moment, they don't freak out. They know it's going to be okay. And it was interesting because my kids are two different ages. Margot is four and a half and Asher is two. And Margot, like, we, you know, we were like, how's this going to go? We're going to break the news that we're leaving. What is going to happen? And she's like... Yay! She was like, "Go, get out of here!" Like, I'm having a sleepover with Grandma. And uh, meanwhile, um, my son, who's two and a two, little over two now, uh, he doesn't really get. Like, when we get home, he's still like trying to process what just happened to him in like the last 24 hours. All right, and that's. I think that's really a picture of us. And what it means is we really need to start thinking of us like a two-year-old. Like, we're two-year-olds, all of us. And it means that we need to practice the presence of God. Like, we just need to feast on his presence whenever we can so that we can learn to step out confidently into chaos, so that we can learn to live in a world where sometimes it doesn't seem like he's there. Sometimes it seems like, is he going to come back? Uh, so that's the second P, prayer. But the final P, so we have presence and prayer, and the final P is the peace of God that Paul talks about in this passage. Uh, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I want you to see that he's not, I think when we think of the peace of God, we think of like, I'm sitting out there on the lawn while all the buildings are exploding on campus. And I'm just like, I have peace. I don't notice that the buildings are exploding. I think that's generally what our notion of the peace of God is. That's what it means to have peace. But uh, here he, he says the peace of God. What is the peace? of? It's, it's talking about the peace that God experiences as he rules and governs our world. You know, it's like, is God at peace while he rules the world, or is he biting his nails, being like, oh no, she had a test this week. God, the, 
the God of the universe, the God who rules everything, is at peace. And he's saying that the peace of God can guard our hearts. I want you to think about what that might look like and feel like. Uh, anybody watching, I don't think many of you are into this, but I watch March Madness, college basketball. It's on right now. There's all these amazing basketball games uh, going on right now. Some of them are like really intense. And I was watching one, uh, Virginia versus Purdue, the other night over the weekend. It was a crazy game, like back and forth. And, you know, buzzer beaters to go to overtime and, and comeback victory and all this stuff. And as I'm watching it, I'm like tensing up. Like I don't even care that much about these teams, but I'm like, it's so intense that I'm kind of like, you know, tensing up and, and it's great when it finally ends. It's like, oh, that was a great game. And because it was a great game, the highlights are on everywhere. Like the next day, you go online, look at a sports page or something, and the highlights are everywhere. And it's an amazing experience to watch the highlights afterwards, right? Because I'm not tense at all. I know exactly what, like, I enjoy it in a whole different way because I know the ending. That's the kind of peace that God has as he governs all things. And he's saying we can have that peace. How can we have it? Uh, It can only be found in Jesus. There's a way that everything that belongs to Jesus can belong to us. We can be in him. He can be in us. And it happens on the cross. I mean, at RUF, we bring it back to the cross almost every week because the cross is central to everything. And on the cross, Jesus loses the Father entirely. The present, like, the presence of the Father is gone from Jesus entirely on the cross. On the cross, he cries out, my God, like, he called God Father every other time, but on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Leading up to his death, he's terrified. He doesn't know what tomorrow will, like, He's a man. He doesn't have like a glimpse into the future of like, oh, this will all work out okay. And all like he doesn't have that. And so he faces death terrified. Which is kind of amazing because many Christians have gone on to die for Jesus. Like there's all these stories of Christians dying for their faith. It happens even today in places like China and the Middle East and elsewhere. Uh, Christians die very readily for their faith with great confidence. But Jesus' death is different. Jesus cries out. Jesus asks, is there any other way? When Jesus dies, he's taking on the experience of being completely and eternally damned. Lost and alone not knowing what is about to come next, just like we would experience it. In other words, Jesus experienced our worst fear so that we would never have to, being lost and alone and not knowing our, what's, what will become of us, so that we could be set free from anxiety, Right? And the opposite of anxiety is rejoicing. 
Paul can't get enough of that. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It doesn't mean you're obliviously happy like some fool. It means that no matter what we face, we're not cast down. It means we can focus on the present, the things that are in front of us now and here, and leave the future to God. It means that we can focus on that which is good and rejoice. That's why Paul, at the end of this passage, says, whatever, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why? Because those are the things you are free to think about when you're not anxious. It's only possible if you belong to Jesus. It's only possible if he's with us in the way that he promises that he is. It's only possible if he gives us his peace. Uh, So I'll close tonight just praying that we would have that. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we struggle mightily with anxiety, uh, all of us, and it is such a challenge to not think ahead and wonder, will I be okay? Are things falling apart? And then act in those ways uh, to let anxiety seep not just into our minds, but into our whole beings, Lord. We struggle with that mightily. And so we pray that you would set us free. Uh, Remind us of your presence with us. Uh, Help us to pray and give thanks. Uh, Help us to know the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.